0: Tonight we're going to look at Exodus, we're going to start in Exodus 13, and then we're going to skip down to Exodus 14. But first, as you turn there, we're going to actually read beyond what's printed in the bulletin um, during the sermon, not at the beginning. Yeah, I didn't give you a fair warning. Um, But first, my question for us is, when is a time where you felt foolish for something you said or did? For me... I remember a time when I was back home f- from college, back in East Texas, and I was working in an electrical crew. And the foreman called me over to look at the battery of a big rig diesel truck and that wouldn't start. It wasn't, didn't belong to the electrical company, it was just there. And I barely know my way around the gas-powered vehicles, so if you wanna teach me, I, I welcome your input and I would love to learn from you. But much less an 18-wheeler. And so he asked me where the battery was on an 18-wheeler, and I had no idea. Because I would assume that it's somewhere in the front, like in front of where the trunk or the uh, hood of a car would be. But it's actually not. It's behind the driver, at least on this one. And when I couldn't find it and didn't know where it was, and I said, I don't know. He said, what have you been doing since you graduated high school? And I was a little bit speechless, and I muttered, college and I felt my manliness being called into question I felt foolish I felt stupid I felt dumb I felt exposed what has it been for you that, where you felt foolish some of us who are kids in the room maybe the first day of school when we've gone in elementary school maybe to school for the first time or we've switched campuses and we feel like we don't know anybody we feel like we're just gonna be found out as a fool and we're gonna feel embarrassed. Or perhaps some of us asking someone on a date for the first time. Whether or not they said yes or no, just asking them on a date. Or maybe interviewing for a job that you are way underqualified for or way overqualified for. Or maybe you are in a Zoom meeting right now, earlier this week, and you are browsing Instagram. And your boss calls on you to answer something and you have no idea what she just called you out for. Maybe it is thinking about going back home for Advent or for Christmas and thinking about seeing high school friends about being back in your home area and feeling small and childish again and foolish. So how do we normally feel in that? We feel speechless. Sometimes we feel stupid, dumb, exposed, like our sanity is being called into question. I think for some of us, deep down, this is what it feels like to be a Christian in the public sector. Or at least that's what we're afraid of, that as soon as people find out that we're a Christian, they're going to view us as a fool and we're going to feel like a fool. We feel like we're foolish for following Christ. In this passage this evening, God's people start to feel foolish for following God out of slavery. God has shown them amazing and wonderful works to set them free, like the plagues, like the death of the firstborn Egyptians. But now it seems that they are caught by the Egyptians. And that's where the passage picks up. I'm going to read in chapter 13, verse 17 and 18, and then skip down to 14. This is God's word. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness, toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went out of the land, up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Skipping down to chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi between Migdal and the sea. In front of baal zephon you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pihahidrim in front of Baal Zephon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Can I pray for us? Father, we ask that you would speak to us. This evening, we are desperate for a word from you as we live in a broken and a dark world. As our hearts are cultivated towards Advent with longing, we ask that you would speak. You promised to speak through your word, the same word that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that has lived with you and the Son for all of eternity, and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of believers. Would he speak to us tonight? We ask that. This, in Jesus' name, amen. This story's pretty incredible. It's one of the more famous stories of the Bible, at least the Old Testament. If you mention the parting of the Red Sea to a general crowd in Western culture, most people will have some image in their head of what's going on. Because of either watching Prince of Egypt when they were a kid, or watching the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, or just from popular art in the Western world, people have an idea of what parting of the Red Sea is. It's even in comic strips, it's memes, it's everywhere. So it's one of the more famous ones and it's in our imaginations. But what's going on here? The angel of death has just swept through Egypt. God has brought about the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt and spared the Israelites. And Pharaoh has commanded Moses To get the people out of there. And he's begged Moses while they're leaving to ask the Lord to bless Pharaoh and his people. So all of the hundreds of thousands of people of Israel start to leave a nation, a kingdom that has oppressed them and enslaved them for 400 years. And then we get this curious comment in the Bible at the end of chapter 13. And I'm going to read it again with a little bit of emphasis. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, let, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Now, for us here in Tucson, in Midtown, in 2020, this doesn't mean much But for someone reading the Exodus, familiar with the geography in this region, they would think this is not the right way. This is not the direct route. It would be like us if we took a Midtown church field trip to Flagstaff, but we went via Albuquerque. You would think, okay, we could maybe loop around, but why? Why would we go that way? Why would Charles lead us that way? We would trust him though, right? Because we trust you. And then you would think, why is God delaying the people in Egypt even longer? Why would you want, why would you not want to get them out of this place that has enslaved them, that has ensnared them? And instead he takes them to the Red Sea and then he tells them to encamp facing the Red Sea. There's no escape. God has led them into a dead end. This is foolish. And that's what Pharaoh thinks as well. He says, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. What he's essentially saying is that they're lost. They're idiots. We're idiots for letting them go. Let's go out and get them back. So Pharaoh gathers up all of his chariots and his armies and goes after the Israelites. And the Israelites see them coming. Dust rises in the air like if we were out in one of the fields to the northwest of Tucson and we saw a truck driving through a field, we'd see all the dust coming up. They see all the dust coming up. The Egyptians are coming fast. They can't do anything about it. And so what do they do? They freak out. I'm going to continue the story in verse 10 if you're following in your Bible. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold... The Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. The Egyptians are coming. They see the threats. They can't see a way forward. Following God appears to be foolish. They're anxious. They're afraid. They're responding with lots of sarcasm and anger. And they start to think and say that it would have been better to never follow God at all. And they question, should we even be following God now? Now, my guess is that... Many of us, at least some of us, have struggled with this too. Or are struggling with it, if not right now, in the past, or you will in the future. Now, likely, most of us haven't had our life threatened. Now, some of us maybe have. We haven't had our life threatened for following God. But when do we feel like this? When do we feel foolish for following God? When submitting to Christ as our King When was that seemingly foolish? To where maybe when you were younger, you think, yeah, that worked for me then. Or maybe if you are younger, you're like, yeah, that works for my parents, but maybe not for me. But now in the middle of all the responsibilities of being a grown up or being in high school or having a spouse or a family or responsibilities of a career or school, we think all of this in the midst of a pandemic this is foolish. I don't have time for this. I don't have time to go to church. I don't have time to even wrestle through this. I'm done. Or you feel the pressure of friends and people in the world around you who look down on Christians as being backwards and repressed. And we're tempted to think this is foolish. And then we think of all the people who have gotten ahead through unethical ways. And we think, man, Christianity's foolish. Or if we're single, we watch guys and girls dating or hook up in a way that appears to make them feel accepted or special, and we think about our own loneliness. And we think, "Man, my Christianity is foolish." Or maybe we've done those things, and now on this side of it, we feel guilty, and we think, "Man, Christianity's foolish for making me feel this way." Are we here, po- people, politically on the left or the right? saying things that calls into question Christian ethics or principles. and We think, is Christianity really worth it? Or we see Christians making a fool of themselves on the internet or on TV, not in a good way. And we think, is following Jesus really just foolish? Should I quit? But it's not just the ethics. It's some of the foundational beliefs of Christianity For some of us, it's the existence of God, a God who cares what we do with our lives, with our bodies, with our money. We think it seems foolish to submit to my life, to somebody that I can't see. As we walk into the Advent season and think about Christmas and the incarnation, and we peel back all the sentimentality and think about a young woman who is a virgin having a baby that is from God. We think, is this just foolishness? Some of us struggle with the Bible and Christians claim that it's God's word and it's inerrant and it has authority in our lives. But then we've heard non-Christians say that it has so many contradictions in it. Now, side note, Charles or I or somebody else would love to talk with you about that. It's actually not full of contradictions. People love to say that, but it's actually not true. Um, It's a reliable document. We can read it and understand it. Anyway, either way, we start hearing voices that have authority in our lives. Maybe an old professor, maybe a friend that we trust. And we think, am I really foolish for believing this? Maybe if we're not a Christian here tonight, we think, am I a fool for even considering Christianity? And all of us start wondering would it be better if we weren't Christian? The Israelites vocally express this with their anxiety and their feelings about their foolishness. And what do you and I do when we feel that foolishness? We struggle. We lash out. We get angry with ourselves. We feel embarrassed. We feel stupid. We feel like maybe we shouldn't be a Christian because surely Christians don't have these doubts. Or we start thinking about walking away. We start daydreaming in the middle of the day. What would it be like if I wasn't a Christian? What would I do with my life? What could I do? What freedom would I have if I wasn't a Christian? Or we go the other direction. We lash out against people who love us and care about us. That we're supposed to love our parents, our friends, our spouses. We do this instead of legitimately questioning and struggling and honestly looking for answers. And we start to pick and choose what we're going to believe about Christianity and what we're going to throw down to the side. And we essentially try to live with one foot in Egypt and one foot trying to follow God. And this would be no better than if Israel, the Israelites surround, uh, just surrendered and just gave up in front of the Red Sea. But that's actually not what happens. What happens next in the story They were scared. They felt foolish because they could not see the bigger picture of what lay ahead. They struggled to trust God and began to freak out as Pharaoh and his army approached. But how does Moses respond to them? What does he tell them to do? He doesn't shame them. He doesn't say, hey, you need to get your act together and do better. He doesn't say, go out and conquer Pharaoh. No, instead, if you're following along, Or listen to 13 and 14. Moses says, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians that you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. With the whole Egyptian army crashing down upon them, what does Moses tell them to do? He tells them to wait, to be silent, to trust the Lord and trust that he will prove himself trustworthy. And this is really about all they can do, right? I mean, they could give up and plead for mercy from Pharaoh, but I don't think that's going to go well. Moses says, wait, be silent, watch and see what the Lord will do. He's not going to abandon you. Instead, he will wipe out the threat that you are so afraid of. It's not better that you should have stayed in Egypt. It's not better that you should be enslaved to Pharaoh. God rescued you. He loves you. He's not going to abandon you. You belong to him. Watch, Watch, wait, be silent. And that's God's invitation for us as well. When we feel that we are foolish for following God, When we feel foolish for being a Christian and submitting ourselves to God by learning from the Bible how to live our lives and how to hold on to certain truths. God's invitation to you and me is the same. Wait, you only have to be silent and watch to see what God will do. So what does that look like for us? Honestly, I think my first encouragement to all of us, myself included, is to be honest about our feelings of foolishness. Honestly, name it. Name the anxiety and the confusion you feel when you're surrounded by friends who disagree with you or especially family members at Thanksgiving meals or Christmas meals where you feel foolish for believing what you believe to be biblical Christianity. Pray about it. Talk to other Christians. Talk to people in this room. Talk to Charles. Talk to me. If you try to hide it and stuff it down and ignore it, it's only gonna get worse. Be honest about it, honestly articulate it. But what do the people do then? They look to God, they wait for God. They don't head back to Egypt. They don't start making deals with Pharaoh. They resist reacting out of their anxiety. Instead, they wait and they watch. And God invites us to trust him, wait for him, watch for him. Watch for how he's working in your life right now, how he might be working soon. Remember, the Israelites have no idea what's coming next. You and I know what happens next because we've seen the Prince of Egypt. We've seen the Ten Commandments or last January before Corona hit. We had plans to read the Bible in a year and we got to March and we had already read through Exodus. So we know what's coming next in the story. But they didn't know what was coming next. And that lack, that same lack of knowing, that same uncertainty is true for you and me today. We don't know what's going to happen next in our lives. We don't know what December holds. We don't know what 2021 holds. We don't know what's going to happen in a situation where you feel foolish at work or at school for being a Christian. Sometimes we think that we're going to, we know what's going to happen next. But the reality is that we are just as uncertain as what is going to happen as the Israelites were for what's going to happen to them. And God invites them and us to wait for him and watch for him to work. Wait and watch for him. So how do we wait? Resist responding in that anxiety. Be honest about it, but don't let it drive you to make decisions. Instead, start looking for how God might be at work. Again, ask friends. If you don't have, Ask Christian friends. If you don't have Christian friends, here's a good start in here. Form a community group that you can get together with to try to wrestle through Christian life together. We need each other. Talk to Charles, talk to me. Ask older Christians if you're a younger Christian. Ask the question, how might, how might God be working in this situation? So the people of God wait, they look to God, and then what happens? God sends this pillar of smoke and this pillar of fire, smoke in the day, fire at night. He blocks the Egyptians from coming. Then God has Moses stretch out his arms over the Red Sea, and God blows a strong wind from the east throughout the night, pushing up the water, peeling back the water. So it's towering with giant watery walls on either side, and the people see a dry pathway right through the middle. And the Bible says in verse 22, the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. And the people walked by faith. The future in front of them was still uncertain. They could not guarantee that the water would not fall on them, but they could trust the one who parted the waters. This is what God invites us to. We don't know what lies ahead, we, but we do know the one who parts the waters and provides a way. Even when we have felt like fools for following God, God does not abandon us. Instead, he invites us to trust him and to take a step where it seems that he might be leading. I know this always seems unclear, but God has given you Christian community and the Holy Spirit to help you learn his ways, to give you wisdom, to navigate the world that he has placed you and me in. As we study the scriptures together, as we worship together, As we hear the word preached week in and week out together, he's revealed his character through the scriptures, revealing that he is a God that we can trust. A God that's in control, even in the midst of all of the chaos from 2020 that will carry over into 2021. We can trust him. He won't abandon us when we follow him, when we submit our lives to him. Even when we fail to do that, he won't abandon us. And I know it's scary. I know that life is uncertain. And God, though, doesn't promise certainty of what's next. The people don't know what lies before them on the other side of the Red Sea. But God does promise that he is trustworthy and that he's going to take care of them. And that's a promise to you and me, too. So the end of this part of the story. The people cross over. To dry land, and after they enter into the water, and they're close to the other side, but not quite there, God moves the pillar of fire, or the pillar of smoke. And the Egyptians are free to chase them, and all of the Egyptian soldiers and chariots pour onto the dry path. But the Bible says that God throws the Egyptians into a panic. the horses' panic. The wheels of the chariots get stuck. The soldiers panic. They're confused. They're afraid. They're moving more slowly. They're getting anxious. They're getting afraid. It's chaos for the Egyptians. And as soon as the Israelites fully cross over to dry ground, God has Moses stretch out his arms and the waters come crashing down, crushing violently and drowning the Egyptian army who has been a threat to them. Though following God seemed foolish, God shows himself to be faithful to the Israelite people by completely rescuing them and eliminating the threat. Y'all, this is a fascinating story. It's impressed in our imaginations, but it's also the story of our hearts. We so often feel foolish for following God. We get anxious and panic and cry out. We consider leaving Christianity. But God tells us to wait on him. That's a lot of what Advent is, is looking forward and waiting, longing for the coming of Christ. To watch for him in the midst of that. To take a step based on his promises. Because we don't know what lies ahead. But we do know the one who is walking before us and with us. We know the one who can bring all the plagues on Egypt and who can peel back the Red Sea. But so often in our foolishness, we run away from God. We want to return to Egypt. We want to return to the seeming security of slavery to sin. And often we think like we do and we live like we do. So God In an act of apparent divine foolishness, entered creation as a man, Jesus. He appeared the greatest fool of all by claiming to be God. And he appeared the fool by laying down his life for a people who hated him. But then he proved himself faithful. He parted the waters of death. He rose again from the dead to eliminate the threat of death for those who would believe in him. And he showed himself to be the true king of over creation, And he extends that grace to us, even when we don't deserve it. He invites us to follow him in faith, even when the world views us as foolish. He invites us not to do better, not to conquer the Pharaohs in our life. He invites us to be silent, to look to him, because he has claimed us in his love as his daughter's and his son's So won't you take that step of faith with me, even just a little bit more than before, to trust that God goes with us into the unknown. This is the longing of Advent. This is the story of Advent as we wait and watch for the coming of Jesus a second time. Will you pray with me? Father, help us to believe it. We ask that in this Advent season you would cultivate in our hearts a longing that drives us to reach out and cling to the promises that you've given us. We don't have the strength on our own, but you have given us amazing capacity. We ask that you would fan the flames of faith in our hearts because we can't do it unless you... Do it in us. So we ask that you would do that for some of us for the first time. For some of us coming back to the faith. And some of us, because we know week in and week out, we have to cling to you to make it through. Would you do that for us? Because you love us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.